Welcome to Belief Beat, where we talk about things that matter with people who matter. I'm John Horner Eibler, your host for this week. And this week we're talking about cars with two people who have a lifelong uh, interest and love for cars. So we're joined today by Paul McGee and Wayne Higgins. So Paul, welcome to Belief Beat. Thank you, good morning, John. And Wayne, good to have you as well. Thank you, good morning, John. Well, uh, uh, for the people who are listening, uh, thanks for joining us. And one of the things we were talking about before we started recording is uh, we have no chance of getting through everything these guys could talk about with cars. So we're going to go as far as we can in uh, the time we have available to us. So we're just going to dive right into things. So let's kind of start in a general area. I know you've both owned some special cars over the years. Um, Tell me a little bit about what you love about driving or working on cars and, and how you got into that a little bit. Uh, Wayne, let's toss that to you first. Well, I started out fixing anything and everything as a kid. Uh, sometimes it didn't get back together, but <laughs> mostly it did. And uh, I had no family who really wasn't into automobiles. I just kind of picked it up myself because of liking to take things apart and put them together. Uh, I remember uh, the first time I changed spark plugs of my dad's car for him. I couldn't find them because after I took that cover off, I couldn't find them. I was in the wrong part of the engine. <laughs> I've never forgotten that. And uh, so you know, the sound of an engine is always a key to how a person can feel good about what they're doing and it's runs smooth and sounds good you feel good yep yep so kind of self-taught paul how about how about you well my dad was a mechanic and uh i kind of got an interest in the cars when i was a little kid because i i started out with the ho racetrack and collecting you know, the, the different vehicles, building models. And as I got closer to the driving age, that was my goal. 16 years old, I'm buying a car. Wow. And I did. Uh, I took my dad with me and he approved. Uh, and then I kind of learned a lot from him. And it was all about getting that vehicle to run perfect perfectly smooth, keeping the oil fresh. Uh, and it just gave you a sense of uh, accomplishment at the end of the day. Cool. Well, this isn't actually on our list, but I, 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 I'll ask it of both of you. Um, you've, you've worked on vehicles a lot. Uh, like for you personally, what's the, 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 the thing you like to work on the most? I mean, the engine, brakes i mean paul how about you when you when you think of working on a car what part of it are you working on body uh at this stage of the game i've kind of taken a break if you will from the mechanical things motor transmission brakes and i'm a stickler for details so what i like to do is once i acquire a car First, I got to find something that is in really nice shape, and then I like to take it to the next level. Simple things, I call it uh, eye candy, like let's say replacing an armrest. 
it adds a lot. If something's broken down, you can buy most of the parts these days or reproduction that look original. And I just take one item at a time and it's all making major improvements on it. Wow. Fascinating. How about you, Wayne? The, the 39 Chevy I bought in 1965. So I've had that car all Whoa. these years. And that wasn't even, so that was not even, well, no, I guess it was, it was, it was 26 years old at that point. Huh? I was going to say, well, wow, that's not even that old then, but 26 years old is pretty old. It was, it was kind of a body man, the guy in an auto shop had owned the car and he started making changes. And so I had to undo the changes over the years mm. and I have managed to get it totally restored, but it is not drivable right now because I took it apart to paint it and took the whole body off and everything. So it was stripped down to just a bare frame, no electrical, nothing, and wow. started over. And wow. then three rounds of cancer kind of stopped me from getting it back together. <laughs> kind of slowed me down. I worked on it last weekend for a little cool. while. I was wiring up the headlights. <laughs> nice. Well, there's your reason for beating cancer right there, Wayne. You gotta, yeah, gotta, gotta finish that, that car. car. You gotta get that car together. No. So uh, when you think, I, I, now I don't even know, have you guys over time, let's, let's go back to Paul on this. Have you, it sounds like you've owned several over time. Uh, maybe tell us about one or two of them. Why'd you buy it and all that stuff. Sure. Um, if I go back in time, like 40 years or so, I had a 64 Chevy Impala Super Sport, and I, at that time, I had blinders on. It appeared as if it was just a beautiful car. The body, the paint, the chrome, everything was just great. So by the time I get home and familiar, familiarize myself with things. Uh, it's blowing blue smoke out the tailpipe, so we did an engine rebuild. And then when we open the trunk up, the, the body that mounts to the frame was completely rotted through. So this is the one that I, with the help of my brother, we took the motor out, the transmission out, and we had that all rebuilt, put it back together, and that's as far as I got with it. I thought, let the next guy figure it out because I'm gonna be upside down real fast, and that's what happens with these collector-type cars. I mean, if it's not for the love of the car, you're not gonna make any money on it when it comes time to sell it. And when you, when you work on this, are you doing this in your garage or? Uh, do you have a, like a separate outbuilding where you do this or like where do you do most of your your work typically everything would just take place in the home garage mm. and uh, we, if we had to rent a tool for instance a, they call it a cherry picker to pull the motor out then uh, that's what we would have okay that's what i was kind of wondering how do you how do you lift something like that out right there's the answer yeah Wayne, you've you've owned a couple. What what's maybe been your most favorite, interesting, biggest lemon, you know, whatever? 
Well, I had a 56 Chevy, which I did an awful lot to. And uh, I really enjoyed that car. My dad talked me into selling it because I got hit broadside by another car and I didn't have the money to buy a, a new door. And he said, well, then just sell the car and get something different. Uh, what he was most interested in giving me something that I wasn't going 140 miles an hour. In. <laughs> ah. Realized that later. But uh, that was a great car to have. I put a special change. I put high performance cam. I did uh, high compression pistons. I did a Corvette heads. That car had everything in it. And uh, because it had three twos instead of a four-barrel carburetor, I got good mileage because it only ran off of a two-barrel carburetor when you drove oh, it Interesting. Down. Okay. All right. Uh, well, was pretty good. So keep going with that. Um, so some people love driving their cars. Some people love working on them. Sounds like you enjoyed driving them too, Wayne. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoy driving and uh, enjoy the fun of what it sounds like when you get it all back together and it runs right. I've got tape recordings of my cars just idling and running. Ah, interesting. <laughs> that I did. I've come across them a couple times. How about you, Paul? I'm sure you do enjoy driving uh, fast, curvy roads. What, like, what's over your lifetime? What's been fun for you? Well, when I was a teenager, it was stoplight to stoplight drag racing, which, of <laughs> course, these days you couldn't get away with. But we would go out almost every night, and there were certain areas, whether it was Wisconsin Avenue, South 27th Street, Billard Avenue, uh, Milwaukee Lakefront. There was a Highway 100 West Dallas, and Back then, it was just stoplight to stoplight, nonstop. And wow. we never got into any kind of accident or altercation, thank God. But uh, as I matured and started spending a little more money on these more, let's say, collectible or rare vehicles, you don't drive them like that anymore. It's real nice and easy babying the vehicle. And one part that's a big enjoyment is some of these organized cruise nights, they call it. And it's a gathering of other individuals that share the same interests and uh, parking in a, you know, one of them was at Seven Seas out in uh, Oconomowoc. A lot of people come up to you and admire and question, and, and you get all types of comments. And one of them that's kind of funny is, oh, my, my dad had a car just like this. And a lot of mine are, I'd like to say, one of one. So the, the chance of dad having the, <laughs> the same one are pretty slim. Right, right. Wayne, can we go back to your 56 Chevy for a second? So I start remembering noticing cars in like the early 60s because I was born in 58. What was the color of the 56 Chevy? It was two-tone, white, and I painted it red. Okay. Uh, I did most of the, I did the paint job on that car myself in a girlfriend's garage 
her mother let me do it. <laughs> I talked her into that I'd, I'd wash all the paint down. I said, don't worry about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow, nice. There was an era there where they were like almost all two-tone, weren't they? Or, or? Most cars, yeah, most cars were two-tone. And uh, usually the top was white and the bottom was a color. And that's how I had this one. But that it wasn't exactly the match of how the car was painted originally because it had a white section in the lower part too. But uh, I didn't know enough how to do that. So it was a nice experiment. And I got out of it good. And, uh, I painted cars before that, so it wasn't the first one. You just try and you do it. Yeah. Well, so going back to what you were saying about the, the nice sound when you put it all back together. So I actually did work on cars a bit in my younger days. And I, I do remember one time taking apart most of an engine and putting it back together. And then when I started it, there was just like this hissing sound. And I just remember being so disappointed that like, oops, <laughs> something is not quite back together the way it should be. And uh, then one of my neighbors came over and I just missed like one vacuum hole someplace. And it was like the simplest thing in the world, but I was just so depressed that like I wasn't able to get it back together. I mean, you guys have been doing this for years. How do you, stuff like that mustn't disappoint you. Is that just like a challenge to like, okay, it didn't work the first time. I'm going to figure out what the problem is. I mean, how have you dealt with failures in your various projects? Paul, why don't I, I'll throw that at you first. Perfect, Paul. Sure. What happens with uh, my, my situation is I was tuning this vehicle and I got everything done, all the electrical things. I got the oil changed and I go to start it. Nothing. Just kept whining and whining. I'm like, well, it's Ooh. not battery. Okay. It has gas. I checked that. I put a teaspoon of gas down the carburetor. Boom. It fired. But that was the end of it. It would not stay running. And it's aggravating. I put, I gave up. I did something else. Went out the following day. Went through the same procedure. Am I getting a spark? Yes. Okay. Am I getting fuel? Yes. Well, at that time, I finally called up a buddy of mine who's familiar with the Chrysler products. And he, right off the bat, said, it's a ballast resistor. That's your problem. And that's just an old age thing that uh, gives out on the Chryslers. And they, they even tell you, look, if you're going to work on these, you might as well carry a spare one in your glove box because sooner or later or at the wrong time, you're going to lose that uh, ignition system. And sure enough, I put the $2 part on it and boom, started right up. So is, was that a part on the starter itself or was... No, it's on the... uh, actually it's on the firewall, but it's connected through the starter and the coil and the distributor, it's all okay. part of that system. Yeah. Wayne, how about you? Any spectacular failures that you had to battle through? Well, it took me 10 years to get the 23 Chevy to run. Oh, well, that's, that's pretty spectacular. I didn't work on it all the time, just right. once in a while. But 
I could not get that car to stop uh, backfiring through the carburetor. And I did everything I could to replace stuff. And after 10 years, I'd finally replaced enough parts that it worked. But uh, that was a problem because that had a uh, fuel pump that looked an awful lot like a Boy Scout canteen. And uh, it was a vacuum that pulled gas from the tank and stored it there and then gravity fed with no pressure, just uh, gravity uh, to feed the engine. And that sounded going to work fine, then just quit. And I spent a lot of time on it. I actually found uh, that I tried another one. And then I, before I sold the car, I put an electric fuel pump on it. And no sooner I put the electric fuel pump on it, and the original one worked perfect. Oh, of course. You can't judge anything, you know? Yeah. It, it's just a matter of trying, and that's all you can do. Oh. So I, I presume, I mean, obviously you can find a lot of stuff on the internet, but I mean, are there people who at this point custom make stuff that's no longer available for a car that old, or, or do you just end up doing what you did, like putting in a more modern... No, you don't put in a more modern. You find okay. a replacement part. And you do for a 1923 car, huh? You'd be surprised. There, uh, there are used car part places on the internet today that really give you the options that I never had when I was younger because I can find things now. If you want a special part and you can figure out what it's called, <laughs> you can put it on the internet. And somebody will either have one to sell or there'll be a place that has them. Uh, I'm, right now I'm dealing with, the, there's a little clip that holds my door panel on my 39 Chevy. And that clip, I bought a whole package of them. And they're just about a sixteenth of an inch to an eighth of an inch too big. So they will not bind and hold. So I just bought a new set, 50 cents each. And I, I bought 25 of them. I said, I'll give it a try and see what that does. Yeah. So that's my next experiment. Someone drilled holes in the body to put the clips in to hold the door panel on. Uh, yeah. And it's supposed to be a slot. So you're mismatching parts. And uh, Paul, I bet you ran into a lot of that in the uh, 50s and 60s cars. Because people try to do anything they could to make them work. I had uh, a car where we had taken the transmission off and changed the clutch. And it appeared as if somebody took a hacksaw to the input shaft on the transmission to make it work. Really? And, uh, at this thing and I'm like what the heck no wonder it was vibrating so much so you're correct a lot of guys will just Mickey Mouse stuff to make it work there's a right way there's a wrong way um, so sometimes you, you do get a lemon and you have to systematically start at uh, page one and work through each item until you, you get it Correct. I did have a car like that, and 
the parts, as far as availability, there's so many different uh, vendors out there these days with the help of the internet, of course, and even on eBay. Now, some of these, what they call new old stock or NOS parts mm. are ridiculous in the price. And these individuals went to all of the car dealer parts departments and bought everything they had available for, let's say, a 1969 Plymouth. Now they've gone and they're uh, they're capitalizing on it. So your little part that costs sixty dollars is now all of a sudden five hundred and sixty dollars wow. for a turn signal switch, for instance. Well, I wasn't going to pay that, so I went to the fellow in Canada who is actually reproducing things with our friends in China, and. I bought that one. Well, it didn't work. So guess what? I went and bought the $560 oh, one because I didn't have a, a choice. Put that together, boom, perfect. So sometimes you do have to pay the price to get the quality original parts. So people literally kind of corner the market on a particular part and then they control the market, huh? Wow. Exactly. Have you, Paul, let's keep going with that. Have, have you tended to stick with the cars you've owned to a specific uh, make or have you kind of bought across the spectrum of manufacturers? Uh, this would go back once again to the family of origin. My mother, my grandmother, they were Chrysler people. So Mopar, as they say, Chrysler, Plymouth. Dodge. I always had Plymouths and Dodges. Oh. And I kind of worked my way up the ladder. And I'd say I've been blessed to own maybe about 15 different ones throughout my, uh, you know, the years. And I got to the top of the ladder and I felt, well, let someone else enjoy it. I don't need this. And I sold it, and I, I'm coming down the ladder now. I sold most of the real collectible things, and I'm, I call them more sensible. And my favorite one that I do have is a 66 Dodge A100 pickup truck. And what makes that cool or unique is I had one for my daughter Casey's barn wedding and it was on display there and fit uh fit in with that atmosphere but once again i sold that to move up the ladder well then down the road oh i should have never sold it i should have <laughs> never sold it well the right one came along i had an opportunity to buy it and i did and i don't think that one's going anywhere that's a keeper that's like you, 39 it's staying <laughs> So you've mentioned Chevy a couple times, Wayne. Have, have, have you moved across the spectrum, or has that been kind of your, your brand? I've had Chevys and Fords, and my first car was a Nash. Wow. 47. That was because my sister got married and didn't want her car, so it went to me. I was 15. <laughs> and... Uh, I had that for quite a while. I had an oval, oval quarter mile track in the backyard. 
And so I go out and drive. As soon as it starts raining, I get out there and play fun, play a lot of fun on the uh, slippery pavement. Wow, cool. <laughs> no, I pretty much stuck to Chevys. is more popular, you know, but I've had other cars too. And uh, uh, one that I felt just like you just said, Paul, uh, I had a 36 Oldsmobile four-door sedan. It was fully loaded with everything and beautiful automobile. And that was when I had five cars. My dad came in and said, clear, out, down to one. <laughs> and so I had to sell that car. And I didn't like the idea, but it was what I had to do. You know. But uh, no, Chevrolet has been a top automobile for me. And been in the vintage Chevrolet club for uh, 30 or more years. So, been there, done that, and uh, don't really want to change it. So. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about that a little bit. I presume you guys both go to uh, club events and car shows. Uh, I mean, you're looking at stuff. Are you, are you going to pick up tips on what you own or just trade stories or uh, that's not something I've ever done. Uh, tell me about a, a car show. Wayne, why don't we, we'll start with you. Well, most of my car shows I've gone to have been because uh, it was something put on by the Chevy club I was in. Mm. So I would get there and my job was generally working at something at the show. But you do get a chance to get out and sit down and talk to the people that have the cars and if you can find cars similar to what you have, of course, then you really have a chance to share ideas and experiences of what you've done. You know, I've got extra fenders and stuff for my, my car, and one of them's a new old stock that Paul was talking about. They're very valuable. I mean, it's a $1,000 fender. Wow. It just sits in the attic. You know, yeah, it doesn't yeah. do me any good sitting up there. So someday I'd like to make a connection with somebody that's got a car that wants to find a fender and I'll get rid of it. But internet will make you connections. And true, I, true. I went uh, through all the officers' uh, positions at the club. And then uh, clubs are very clicky. The members most likely are all... The same people have done everything together for so long that a new party coming in is not so easy to do. I don't know what you found, Paul, but that's what I found. Uh, my wife and I were expecting that as president, I was going to have to do things and others were doing it. And I said, well, you know, I thought I was supposed to be responsible for this. And, uh, Oh, no, we'll take care of it. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so I haven't gone to meetings now for quite a while. Uh, Every once in a while, I get some feedback about the fact that they haven't heard that I've been in meetings. Well, I haven't been feeling that well, and health-wise, it's hard to put priorities together to do that when you got something else you can take care of. Yeah, yeah. No. How about you, Paul? Car shows or car clubs? Uh been in the car club thing probably, geez, all my life. 
And I like to lean towards the mark specific uh, brand of show. Uh, when you do that, you get such a great turnout, weather uh, permitting, of course, but you get to see so many vehicles that guys have been working on and they, this might be the debut that they're showing into the uh, public. Yep. You might get some folks from uh, Illinois or Michigan. Um, I like to go to this other show though that's in Chicago and that attracts muscle cars from all around the world. As far as Australia, guys will ship them up here and uh, wow. And the camaraderie between the people is what is really cool. I mean, you, you can spend a whole day sharing stories and experiences with others. And uh, it's just a great feeling at the end of the day. So what's the coolest car you've ever driven or ridden in? Not necessarily owned, but it was just like, you know, you just thought it was awesome, Paul. I would have to say it was one that I owned. And we okay. took a six or a 1970 Belvedere station wagon and turned it into a Roadrunner. So it had the Roadrunner horn, the beep beep horn, uh -huh. the hood, the bucket seats, console, a pistol grip shifter, an air grabber, all of the uh, graphics on the side. And then it had a monster cubic inch motor. It was a 511 stroker with a six barrel carburetor. And it pulled about 500 horse, 550 foot pounds of torque. But when you pull up to the light and some of the guys with the, uh, let's say newer Corvettes and uh, Mercedes, that type of crowd, they kind of giggle and look over at us like, what the heck is wrong with these people? And right off, off the bat, they get on their car and I would just ease it down and keep up even with them. And when the time was right, I nailed it and it was goodbye. <laughs> they didn't know what hit them. That was the most fun car that I've ever owned. Wow, that is amazing. 500, that, that's a lot of power. Wayne, how about, how about you? Well, I'd driven so many different cars. Uh, my 56 Chevy was a, a favorite because it was uh, very fast and uh, it, it worked real good. I could uh, shift that, power shift that with a gas pedal on the floor and move through the gears and that thing would break loose and spin the tires in every gear. So it was a lot of fun. And uh, you, you look at the other end of the stick, the 23 Chevy. That was a convertible, and we'd take a ride with that in the fall and take pictures uh, of the trees and stuff. Yep, and, uh, yep. That that car was just kind of neat because everybody would look at you, you know. Mm. And no matter what you did, you didn't dare go over 25 miles an hour because you couldn't stop it. Ah. That car had rear brakes, and that was all. And that was it. Yeah, mechanical wow. rear brake. And you've ridden a bicycle with a rear brake. You know, that's just what you mm -hmm. do. I mean, you stick all that weight on there with four tires. 
and uh, no power steering, no power anything. Uh, you got to plan ahead. You don't stop in an instant. Everything is planned very slowly. <laughs> wow. It's, yeah. It's been fun to drive the high performance cars too because they really do get your blood pressure up a bit <laughs> and make you feel like you're really accomplishing something. Yeah. Well, I bet you two have. I never had anything, Paul, that had quite the horsepower you were talking about. That wasn't quite as big as I never got to that. But. Well, what, what's interesting these days is the horsepower just keeps going up and up. I mean, the cars that I've had and I'm accustomed to are nothing compared to today's standards in a new uh, Challenger or Charger with 707 horsepower. And they're even selling great motors that have 1,100 horsepower. It, it's insane. The Corvettes, um, they're up there in the 700 range, uh, the new Mustangs, and you'd think you'd see it top out somewhere, but these the big three, Chevy, Ford, and Chrysler, are still battling it out to see who has the most power. The same thing they did in the mid-60s. They're doing today. And would that much power actually correspond to speed or... Is that, in a sense, wasted power? No, it's all about that zero to 60. Ah, okay. Zero to 60 in 2.5 seconds, which, where are you going to do this? And where, <laughs> on the other hand, are you going to go 200 miles an hour? It, they're doing it somewhere, I hope, on a track. Elkhart Lake is popular for that type of thing, but... Uh, I know if I had that much power, it would get me into trouble. So I'm, I stay away from it. I agree. <laughs> I'd have the same problem. Uh, I, I drive a truck and it, it's got a big motor, but it, it's more for the performance of being able to pull out a tree than it is for getting out of the track and running somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so I like that. Have have either of you uh, run on a track at some point, or or no? Yes. Yeah. I did drag racing. There were twenty one of us in a club when I got out of school, and uh, several of us went together and we got a car, and then we raced on the track. I also raced my own car at, at uh, Union Grove too, so. All quarter mile stuff. Yeah, yeah. Paul? Yeah, I've taken cars to Great Lakes Dragway, okay. quarter mile, and Union Grove. And uh, I found that with all that power, you can't get the job done. And there's a fine line between a street driven vehicle and a racing car. And that fine line is almost impossible to find. And my experience was. Uh, the tires smoked the entire quarter mile. I felt like I was driving on ice and I let off the, the accelerator because I thought I was going to smash into the wall. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you, if you're going to be racing, that's one thing. Then you need 
to have the vehicle safety inspected. You need to have a roll bar if it's capable of going 10 seconds or less. You need drag slicks. Those aren't legal on the street. And it, it, it does get expensive, too. And uh, so I, I kind of stayed away from that as well. Okay. Any, any features from the old cars that aren't on cars anymore that you miss, or have most of the improvements been a positive? Well, the electronics on the new things, you can't compare that to the old by any means. I mean, they got cameras all around them. You've got the lane change detectors and the mirrors, the cameras backing up. Uh, I got a, tr a new Dodge or a new Ram, I should say, truck, and it has a uh, feature you're backing up. If once you get too close, it'll break and throw the the transmission selector into arc. I mean, wow. it's, it's unbelievable how, how things have changed. Huh. Wayne, anything you miss about the old cars in terms of actually, you know, functional driving or? Well, in the older cars, you really had a chance to hear the performance of what you're going to get out of the engine. And that was very nice. I, I always like that. As I said, I, I recorded some of it. Uh, but you also have a lot of fun driving today's cars because you have such a different kind of feel than what you did then. I mean, you got power steerings that are doing things that you don't even think about. I mean, it's just there for you. Mm -hmm. Where you used to turn a steering wheel and it took both ends to turn the wheel. You didn't just stick a finger on it and you had to give it a spin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, so it, it, you provided it, the power, right? <laughs> it's improvements, not losses that we have to look at. Okay. Hey, we're, we're almost out of time, but maybe a good place to end is um, is there a place around here, southeastern Wisconsin or southern Wisconsin, maybe that that you really enjoy driving, either because of the you know the car on the road or um, scenery or anything like that? Where's a special place you like to to drive, Paul? I like to head up uh, towards Holy Hill and take the back roads, Montez <laughs> and. St. Augustine, Scenic Drive, all of those are fun because they're twisties, curving, uh, the speed limit changes a lot, and especially this time of year, you got all the pretty ball colors and everything. When we talked earlier about convertibles, uh, that's the greatest. I mean, it's, it's kind of like you're on a boat, a boat ride, the way the wind is blowing yeah. at you and just to observe everything that's going on around you and above you. That's the best. Sounds like it. That is good. Wayne, how about you? Any favorite place I'll to drive? i the same answer I was going to give. <laughs> <laughs> that, that part of the country is really special for driving with your car. Yeah. It's just a joy. Uh, but anytime you can just take a ride on two-lane road, that's all. That, yeah. That's a critical item. Get on a two-lane road and go somewhere. Mm -hmm. and be willing to stop because there's a lot of stuff to see and do and enjoy. 
that's why I want to get my 39 back together so I can have something to drive to do that with. Because it's, it's just how we always took when you needed a Saturday afternoon or Sunday ride, we just get in the car and go. Yep. Yeah. And it, it is fun. It I, is real fun. I've heard that's actually been a little bit of a COVID thing that, you know, the Sunday afternoon drive was kind of a thing of history, but people have kind of been just getting in their car and driving around a little bit more. And that's, that, that part's kind of cool. So, Hey, you know what? We didn't even scratch the surface, but uh, I really appreciate both of you spending some time talking about cars and what you've worked on in the past. And uh, we're going to call it quits for now. So for everyone who's been listening, um, thanks so much for being part of belief beat. If you're a member at unity, uh, Paul is mostly connected at the Cross Life Campus, Wayne mostly at Christ the King. And if you're into cars, uh, search, seek them out sometime when we're more back in person. And uh, I'm sure they'd love to talk cars with you as well. Done for now. <laughs>